difficult to live in as every day passes. And Lord, we're only heading into worse times. We know that because that's what your Bible teaches us. We're heading right into the great tribulation. Father, and uh, as we look at this text today and we see that uh, there's this silence in heaven for half an hour, Lord, it, it indicates to some that uh, we're living in an age where you're silent, that that uh, just before the great tribulation that, that you become silent. We're, we're going to look at that, Lord, and I uh, explore that idea of whether or not there is a period of silence that takes place before the great tribulation. So I ask today, Lord, that you show us that, that uh, that's not true, Lord, that you've always been speaking to this world and you always will be. And so, Lord, I just ask that you uh, help us get through this text, help us to see what you would have us to see, and uh, help us take home some application uh, as, we, as we go through this, this uh, uh, passage in Revelation. Lord, I just ask for your blessing on our study today. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. You know, one of the reasons that I've been married for 35 years and had a very happy marriage is because I'm such a great person. Actually, it's because my wife is a very patient person. I can count on my two hands the number of fights we've had in 35 years, and I'm serious about that. And whenever we have a fight, my wife doesn't throw anything. She doesn't say, she doesn't yell. Uh, she just doesn't talk. And when she doesn't talk, it can go on for a while. I mean, she won't, if she gives me the silent treatment, I'm telling you, it can last for weeks. And I've tried to play that game with her, and I'm not as good, as it, good at it as she is. I mean, she beats me every time. I'll tell you one story. Uh, there was this one uh, particular time we were having a little bit of an argument, and actually all our arguments are pretty big arguments. Like I said, we don't have many, but we were having this argument, and uh, she wasn't speaking to me, and I didn't want to speak to her. But I had to get up the next morning, I had a really important meeting, and I'm not used to getting up early, so she gets up with the chickens every day. She gets up at like 5 o'clock in the morning. So I wanted to ask her, please wake me up and don't let me oversleep. But I wasn't going to talk to her. So I wrote her a note. <laughs> and I said, I have a meeting in the morning, please wake me up at 6 o'clock. And I put it by the coffee pot because I knew she gets a cup of coffee every morning. Well, I woke up that next morning, and it was about 8.30, and I'd missed my meeting, and I was saying, what in the world did she do? Why didn't she wake me up? And there on my nightstand was a note that said, it's 6 a.m., wake up. <laughs> <laughs> that really didn't happen. <laughs> now, you talk about getting the silent treatment, I'm going to get it today. But let me tell you what, if those circumstances were really happening, it would have happened. She would have done it exactly like that, let me tell you. Well, guys, you know how bad the silent treatment is. Just think of how bad it would be if on this earth, just before the Great Tribulation, for a period of time, that God went totally silent and he didn't say one word to all the people on this earth. And that's what some expositors teach. And we're going to explore that idea of whether or not 
Uh, God is silent on this earth at any time. We're going to look at that as we go through this text today. And as we come to verse number one, uh, we're going to see, uh, we're going to begin in chapter eight. We're going to see the, the seventh uh, seal is open and these uh, trumpets are going to be blown as we uh, see the earth about to go through the great tribulation. So go with me to chapter number eight of Revelation, chapter number eight. And let's begin down in verse number one. Verse number one. It says, when he, and who's the he? Remember, who's opening the seals? The Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is opening the seals. And when he opened the seventh seal, watch what happens here. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. For about a half an hour, there was silence in heaven. Now, that is a really drastic turn in events that are taking place right here. Because if you remember in the previous chapters, we saw the four living creatures and the 12 elders, and for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they were praising God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Then we saw 10,000 times 10,000 angels and they were praising God with a loud voice, and they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb. And then we heard the whole church singing in heaven, and they were singing, Blessing and honor and power belong to the Lamb. And then everybody got together, and the whole host of heaven were saying, Amen, blessing and honor and glory and power and might belong to God forever. Amen. And you hear all of this praise in heaven, and then all of a sudden, there's silence, total silence. You can hear a pin drop in heaven. And if heaven is silent in heaven, then it would seem that heaven would be silent on earth. And so you have this total silence, and it wasn't just for a few seconds. Now, there's no clocks in heaven. I don't believe there's any clocks in heaven at all because they're in eternity and they're not in time. But in John's mind, it seemed to be a pretty good while why it was the, this period of silence that seemed to take place for a pretty long period of time, about a half an hour. But remember, in heaven, time is different from on earth, so what might have been a half an hour in heaven might have been hundreds of years on earth. And that's why there are a lot of expositors who teach that this half hour of silence in heaven marks this period of time on earth when God seems to be giving the world the silent treatment. He doesn't speak anymore. And if that's so, then it would be like hell on earth because in hell, God is totally silent. Now, that's one of the reasons hell is such a scary place. That's one of the reasons you don't ever want to go to hell because we know all these terrible things about hell. We know that it's a place of eternal fire. We know that it's a place of endless darkness, but it's also a place of endless silence. And I think there'll be noises in heaven. There'll be the sounds of screams and cries, sounds of pain and suffering, but heaven will be silent in hell forever. Now think about that. That makes hell that much more terrible. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 115, 17. 
He says, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. When you go down into hell, you go down into silence. David put it like this in Psalms 28, chapter, I mean, verse number 1. He says, to you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down into hell. In other words, not hearing from you is what David is saying is like being in hell. And I can relate to that. I think the most terrible times in my life since I've been saved have been when I don't think I'm hearing from God, when I think God is silent. So you have this half hour of silence, and when does it come? It comes right before the great tribulation. So some expositors say that that means that there's silence on earth, that God is silent, that God gives earth the silent treatment just before the great tribulation, maybe a period of 100 years, maybe a period of seven years, maybe a period of one year. But in any case, we have this silence in heaven, so they teach that we have this silence on earth. Now, I don't agree with that, and I'm going to make that case a little bit later on because I don't believe there's ever been a time when God has been silent on earth. And I don't think there ever will be a time when God is silent on earth. So why this half hour of silence in heaven? If he's not giving the earth the silent treatment, then then what is this all about? Let me tell you what it's all about. It's about the dread and awe in heaven related to the terrible events that are about to take place on earth during the Great Tribulation. It is so terrible that all the praise stops and there's just terrifying awe in heaven or this empathy in heaven for all the people on earth for what's about to take place on earth. Now, as we come to verse number two, the silence is about to be broken. And listen to what he says in verse number two. He says, and then I saw these seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, notice the definite article there. That means that these are very important angels. These are the seven angels who stand before God in heaven. Now, we know that one of those angels is Gabriel, because you remember when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and told him that he was going to have a baby, in Luke chapter 1, remember what he told Gabriel? He said, I, I mean, what he told Zechariah. He said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent here to speak to you and bring you good tidings. So we know that Gabriel is one of those seven angels. Who would maybe one of the other angels be? One of the other seven who direct the other angels? Michael, right, the archangel. Surely he's one of those seven. We don't know the names of the other five, but we know that they're very important angels. And we're told here, look back at the text there, that each one of them is given a trumpet. Now, if you've studied the Bible and you're familiar with the use of the trumpet in Old Testament uh, literature, how is the trumpet used? It's used to announce good tidings, and it's used to warn the people of some terrible thing that's about to happen. Some great enemy is approaching. Some terrible event is about to take place. And so that's the use of the trumpets here by these angels, to sound an alarm. 
And that's exactly what Joel says over in Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Listen, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. And so these trumpets are being passed out to these seven angels, and they're about to sound the alarm. And, and uh, just before they blow the trumpets, look what happens. Something very strange happens here. Look at verses uh, 3 through 5 with me here. He says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that was in the censer, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which you could say which is the prayers, with the prayers, because that it, it represents the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar. Now watch what he does. This is really strange here. And he threw it to the earth. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And so you see from this picture here of these noises and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake that this casting of this, sensor, this fire from this censer down to the earth is what? It is judgment. There's no doubt it's judgment. Now, if you're a student of the Old Testament, again, you've seen these golden censers and these, this golden altar before. Actually, it's a brazen altar and a brazen censer, but, but it's a replica on earth of the altar in heaven, of the censer in heaven. We saw that where? We saw it in the tabernacle, and we saw it in the temple, and we looked at that back then. The reason it's golden in heaven, this golden altar, is because gold in, in the Bible represents what? It represents divinity. So there's an altar that's divine, and what is that divine altar? It's the cross where Jesus Christ, God Almighty, shed his blood for you and I. And then you have this golden censer, which holds, it's a picture of God holding the prayers of all the saints for all time, all of their prayers. God hears all of your prayers. I mean, even when you're babbling a little bit, God hears it. He hears all of our prayers, and he, those prayers are precious to him. But in this case, something really unusual happens. They take the fire from the altar, and it's cast down to the earth, and that's, I think, no doubt, a picture of of judgment because fire represents judgment and that is the judgment of God and it's coming forth from heaven. Now that altar is interesting because remember Isaiah saw that altar in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and I believe he saw the golden altar because you remember what happened. Isaiah, Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then at that point uh, an angel took coals from the altar, that same altar, and he touched the lips of Isaiah, and they made him clean. They purged his sin. So, see, there's in one sense, the fires of this altar are for refining. In, the, in another sense, the fires from this altar are for judgment. And, and so that's the picture that's being given us right here. So, for those who receive Christ, we're refined by the fire of God. Let me tell you what, all of us who are born-again believers in this room at this very moment in our lives, we're being refined by God, by the refiner's fire. The trials that, that you're facing in your life are the loving hand of God taking you 
and refining you and making you like pure gold, making you like the divinity of Jesus Christ, making you Christ-like. Now, you won't be divine, but making you like Christ. But that same fire is the fire of judgment. And so we see these angels casting this fire down to the earth, and it's a picture of God judging this earth. But why is he judging the earth? He's judging this earth to refine the earth. So it's the same purpose. I know, I remember when Katrina hit New Orleans, uh, everybody was kind of taken back by the, by the uh, definition of that word, the meaning of that word, Katrina. It means to purify or refine. Now, I, I don't think it worked. I've been, uh, you know, I don't think New Orleans has changed much, but it's a picture of how this world is going to be refined because there's coming a final judgment much worse than Katrina, and God is going to use that judgment to refine and purify this world. It's not about just killing people. It's about making this world right, making this world righteous. And now you see these, uh, the fire being cast upon this earth, and the angels are about to blow their trumpet because these judgments are coming in the form of this fire. And listen to what he says in verse number 6. He says, and I'll read the whole passage here so we can, we can uh, get it all in context. Listen to what he says. He says, so the seven angels, I'm picking up in verse number 6, who had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hell and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the great green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great burning mountain with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became as blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and the third of the ships were destroyed. So this looks like a local event where one great star is thrown into the sea and a third of the ships and a third of the animals and a third of the sea is destroyed. I want you to keep that in mind. Then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. Now that looks awful similar to me to the great mountain burning. And I'm going to make the case here in just a little bit that I believe all of this is one event that takes place and, and not several events. So it's all kind of tied together. That's why I'm reading it together. And, and it fell like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and a third of the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. Now we're going to have to talk about that a little bit. And a third of the waters became Wormwood and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then a fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, and so the third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine likewise at night. Now, that's interesting to me, because all of these are thirds. It's like this thing hits, and it destroys a third of the earth is basically what it looks like. Now, some people would tie the last verse to the sixth seal, Remember, we looked at the sixth seal and all these cosmic disturbances that take place. But when does the sixth seal take place? We're told about that by Jesus in, uh, on the Olivet Discord. He says that after the Great Tribulation, all of the things that happen in the sixth seal happen. So I don't believe that this last verse is the six, it refers to the sixth seal at all. It refers to this plume, this plume of debris that blocks the sun and blocks the light of the moon and blocks the light of the stars. So I personally believe that all of this that we see here in verses 6 through 12 is one great event, 
and it is a meteor or an asteroid that hits the earth. We'll talk about that a little more in a, a little bit more in a minute. But first of all, let me say this. This rules out. When you read those six verses, unless you're just kind of on the mentally weak side, you can't, you can't help but see that this is a future event, that this has never happened on this earth. And it, so it rules out this idea of historical interpretation. When we've talked about this historical interpretation before, where which the, the people who, who, who exposit this text based upon a historical interpretation will say that all of these events have taken place at some point in history, or they'll take, it, they'll take place at some point in history before Jesus Christ, Christ returns. The preterists go so far as to say that all of these events have took place in the first century. Now, I don't know what Bible they're reading, but there's never been an event on this earth where a third of the trees were destroyed, a third of, them, a third of the grass was burned up, a third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the rivers and the lakes were, were destroyed. A third of the earth couldn't see the moon, couldn't see the sun, couldn't see the stars. There's never been an event like that. So this has to be some future event. Now, some interpreters look at this, if you looked at various commentaries, a lot of interpreters would tell you that these are separate events. Each trumpet is a separate event. Others, and, and these are the ones that I, who I agree with. If you want to be a right, you agree with them too. But I'm joking. But they believe that this is one event that affects the world in four different ways. And that's what I believe is happening right here. Now, it could be that there's maybe a comet and then an asteroid, but there's no doubt that this is some type of star that is falling out of heaven, this great burning mountain is a picture of a comet or an asteroid that God slings to this earth. Now, can that happen? Could something like that really happen? Let me, let me take you back a few years. You remember back in 1993, there was a couple of astronomers named Carolyn and Eugene Shoemaker, and they were working out of a California observatory, and they spotted a comet most comets orbit the sun, but they spotted this rogue comet that was not orbiting the sun, and it was on a direct path heading for Jupiter. And in 1994, the comet entered the atmosphere of Ju Jupiter. It broke into several pieces, and I got to tell you, it just so happened. I don't think it just so happened. I think God planned it that way that we had the Galilea spaceship right in line to watch all of this. And over a period of a few days, this comet broke into several pieces, and it started pounding Jupiter, the planet Jupiter. The first fragment, which they called Fragment A, slammed down on the surface of Jupiter, hitting it at 2,300 miles per hour. A plume of destruction went up into the air 2,000 miles high. And the telescope detected this immense heating on the surface that was coming from this hell of falling particles that was coming down to the surface of the planet Jupiter. Look back at verse number 7. 
and see if that doesn't look pretty familiar right there. The spot of damage that that fragment A left on Jupiter was 4,000 miles wide, half the radius of the Earth. Over the next few days, 21 other fragments from this asteroid hit Jupiter. Fragment G alone was the size of the diameter, put a spot on Jupiter the size of the diameter of the Earth, about 8,000 miles wide. And it released the destructive power of 6 million megatons, yeah, 6 million megatons of TNT, about 750 times the entire Earth's nuclear arsenal. It, when that fragment G hit. I mean, yeah, fragment G. Each of the impacts of these fragments created seismic waves that swept across the entire planet at 300 miles per hour and lasted for hours. So Jupiter had earthquakes throughout the planet that lasted for hours. Now, you talk about a great earthquake. Imagine the earthquake that's going to take place on this Earth when this star hits. And what was really interesting, this happened seven years before the year 2000. So we were all kind of like, whoa, what is the Lord doing here? Then a few years later, you remember in 1997, a comet came roaring in to our area called the Hell-Bopp Comet. Do you all remember the Hell-Bopp Comet? You don't remember the Hell-Bopp Comet? Where were you at? It was out in the sky. I remember one night driving to Hattiesburg, and that comet looked, it was, was as big as the moon and had this tail on the side of it. It was the most beautiful sight. And, I mean, just this gorgeous look. If you, if you don't remember seeing it, look it up on the Internet. It was a beautiful comet. But if that comet had come to this earth, it would have destroyed us all. Now, Next Sunday, during the Super Bowl. And if God feels the same way about the NFL that I feel, this thing might very well strike. This next Sunday, asteroid J129 is heading very rapidly to an area near our Earth. They say maybe about six million miles away, so you don't have to worry about it. You, you, they say it's potentially destructive, but they don't think it's going to hit the earth. Look, if God wants it to hit the earth, it will hit the earth. If it hits the earth, we're in the great tribulation and we miss the rapture. So we, I don't think this is it. Or we miss the rapture. Look, I don't believe anything that happens in space happens by chance. I believe all of these things are given to us as signs and warnings. That what we read here in Revelation can actually happen on earth, and it will happen on earth at some point. Now, there are a lot of people who will say that what takes place in chapter 8 is a nuclear war. Uh, And I think their primary reasoning behind that is that the name of this star is called Wormwood. And if you remember, those of you who are old enough, if you remember back in 1986, there was a nuclear accident 
at the nuclear plant there in Chernobyl. Well, the Russian word Chernobyl does not translate to wormwood. Let me tell you that right now. But it translates to a, if you take the literal, and everybody was saying that back then, all the prophecy guys were saying that, but it, the Russians weren't saying that. It, it doesn't translate to wormwood, but it does translate to a plant very similar to wormwood. So you could interpolate and come to the conclusion that Chernobyl means wormwood. In any case, I don't doubt that this great comet or this great asteroid that hits the earth doesn't make the waters bitter because it tells us it does. And so it very well could be full of nuclear waste like Chernobyl produced. It very well could be full of that. But I don't think it's a nuclear war. And the reason I don't think it's a nuclear war, because there's not a bomb big enough. Now, they're probably trying to build it right now. But there's not a bomb big enough to destroy a third of the, the, the sea, a third of the animals, and, and a third of the waters on the, on the earth, and, so, and a third of the ships. So I don't think, I'm almost positive that this is a comet. Well, when does the nuclear war come? Well, we get to chapter 9. That's when we're going to see the nuclear war. I have no doubt that's a nuclear war, and we'll look at that uh, in the coming weeks. We'll see this nuclear war that takes place on the earth. Which one happens first? Uh, here's where you get yourself in trouble in the book of Revelation if you try to put these in chronological order. God puts them in order for his purposes. They're, they're, they're very rarely is this stuff in chronological order. I liken this. I don't know if any of you saw the movie Prestige, and there's movies like the movie Prestige. And, and in the movie Prestige, they go back into all sorts of parts of time. They go forward in time. They go back in time. They go further back in time, a little bit further in time. And I believe that's what's happening here in the book of Revelation. I don't believe we're on some chronological schedule here. God might very well be showing this star because this star is probably maybe the most terrible part of the Great Tribulation. And I think maybe the nuclear war takes place before God fires this star into the earth. So in any case... This is going to be a terrible event, and, and, uh, it, and it marks the first four trumpets being blown. And again, I believe the fifth, fifth and sixth trumpet are a nuclear war. Enjoy your lunch. <laughs> now, let's finish up. And I, as, I'm not going to get into chapter 9 today, but I do want to go back and address this idea of silence in heaven. Because I think there's great application here for all of us. Does this mean, when there's silence in heaven for a half an hour, that God is silent on earth? Does God give us the silent treatment? And I say, no. I say, no. Now, if you went back and listened to my tape from last time, I would have said, yes, you grow in 10 years. You grow. I, I wasn't wrong then. I was just mistaken. It's a big difference. <laughs> I hadn't thought that all the way through. But I don't believe God is ever silent, ever. He's not silent on earth. He's not silent to any individual on earth. And I used to say he was silent. I've taught this before, if you, and, and wherever I did, we're going to have to go back and change the tapes. But, 
But, but, I, but, you know, there are periods in history where it seems to be that God is silent. You look at the Dark Ages, it seems that God is silent. You remember that period between Malachi and Matthew. I mean, I hear people all the time teach God was silent then. He gave Malachi, he, he, he stopped speaking, he didn't speak anymore until Jesus came to this earth. Have you heard that before? Well, whoever said that was wrong, and I might have said that myself. There was a time between Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great king, and Josiah, when there was, it, God seemed to be totally silent. There weren't any prophets speaking. God seemed to be totally silent. But again, I don't believe God has ever been silent on this earth. Let me go back, for example, that time between Hezekiah and Josiah, where God didn't seem to be speaking. You remember what happened. They were two terrible kings, descendants of Hezekiah. They were absolutely the worst kings in Israel, and they did everything they could to destroy the word of God in Israel. But God's word is what? It's eternal. It will always, his word will always exist. It will always be there. They did everything they could to destroy it, and all the people, it, 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 it's almost a, a, a funny sight. Josiah, this young kid, decides, I don't, know why, but I think God put it in his heart, and he, God put it in his heart to restore the temple, and so he orders the restoration of the temple, and he orders the restoration of the temple, and there's this high priest named, I'm, let me try to grab his name, because I, I can't remember, Hilkiah, I think is his name, but Hilkiah, the high priest Hilkiah, he's in the temple he hadn't been in the temple for a while, and he was a high priest. He would show you how bad things were then. He's in the temple, and he discovers a book. He said, I found a book. You ought to read this, Josiah. What is it? Uh, it's a book. What do you think it is? Well, I think maybe it's the Word of God. I mean, even the high priest didn't know what it was. And so they pulled it out, and they read it. And you remember what happened when they read it? They tore their clothes and they repented in dust and ashes, and a great revival took place in Israel. God wasn't silent during that period. They weren't listening. They had put the word of God away, and it was gathering dust. That time between Malachi and Matthew, when there are no more books written in the Bible, or no books written in the Bible during that time period, that time, it does seem that God is silent, but I challenge you to go back and read about the inter, what they call the intertestamental period. And it's full of God speaking to these people. It's full of God acting on behalf of the people of Israel. It's full of God answering prayers. It's full of God praying for people. You look at the Maccabean revolt, uh, and, and, it's, it's, and you look at the Feast of Hanukkah, and you study about Hanukkah where God does this great miracle and he makes the oil and the lamp last seven days. I mean, all of that is God speaking to his people. And so God wasn't silent then, and even before the great tribulation, God is not going to be silent on this earth. He's still speaking on this earth. Look, I believe we're in that time. I believe we're in that time where it does seem that God's silent. I mean, there's no Billy Grahams out there anymore. I mean, you got Joel Osteen, and you've got... Rick Warren, I'm not making any comments. But there's no Billy Grahams out there. I mean, what's happened? Why, it seems like 
God's not speaking to us anymore, that he's given us the silent treatment. And, we, and I believe we're living in the days right before the great tribulation begins. So it kind of fits with this text, but God is not silent. I mean, did you see that storm that hit Houston this summer? That was God speaking very loudly to the United States of America that you better repent or you're going to perish. God is speaking. God speaks through earthquakes. He speaks through all sorts of terrible trials. And he's screaming at the people of this earth, you need to get right with me or you're going to perish in hell. You know, even in the great tribulation, when this comet hits the earth and this nuclear war breaks out on this earth, you know that God is speaking through all of that. And I can prove that God's speaking to it. Go with me to chapter 9. We'll jump ahead for a minute. Go with me to chapter number 9. And look down at the last two verses of chapter number 9 of Revelation. He says, after all of these things have happened, after the nuclear war, after the comet has hit the earth, look what it happens. He says, but the rest of, the man, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hand. So what does that tell you right there? What was God trying to do in all of this? Remember I told you there are three reasons for the great tribulation. One reason is to prepare Israel for their king. The other reason is to punish the wicked. The third reason and the main, I think maybe the main reason is to get people saved, to get people to repent. And God's going to do everything he can, even to almost destroy this earth in order to get some people to repent, to wake people up. But do they wake up? Look at what happens. He says, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries, and their sexual immorality and their thefts. In other words, they kept right on being just as wicked as they were. And God is screaming at them, repent, 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 or else you will die in hell. God's not silent. God's not ever, never has been silent on this earth. He's never been silent in your life. He's never been silent in my life. Even before I was saved, God was speaking to me. You're heading for trouble, George. You're heading for serious trouble. You're heading for a crash. You better get right with me. And I put that word away and it drew dust, just like it did in the days of Hezekiah. I mean, Josiah, rather. You know, I have people come to me all the time and they tell me, I don't hear from God. And when they say that, it's as if they're saying, God is giving me the silent treatment. Listen, if there's a problem with our communication with God, the problem isn't with God. It is with us. If we aren't hearing from God, it isn't because God doesn't want to speak to us. The problem is with us. He has given us this whole word, which is nothing but him speaking to us, nothing but him telling us he loves us. We, we're given his word. We've been given as born-again believers 
the very access to his throne where we, whereby we stand by the grace of Jesus Christ because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's there to listen to us whenever we want to take the time to speak to him. And the reason we don't hear from him is because we put him away in some closet. We put his word away in some closet. And that's why we're not hearing from God. And that's why this nation is not hearing from God. I have people also that I run into from time to time. And I, maybe I can relate to this. They don't want to talk to God because they don't like their circumstances. They don't like the way God's been treating them. And so they don't want to talk to God. And so they give God the silent treatment. You ever given God the silent treatment? One morning I got up. Nathan could attest to this. I got up. I didn't like my circumstances. I said, Lord, I'm not praying. I'm not praying for a while. And I don't think the Lord, I think the Lord laughed. I got in my car, and this was right in the middle of, we had had some major terrorist attacks and things going on in this world that really made things really tense among Muslims and Christians. And I got in my car, and I took one of the boys to the doctor's office, and as I was pulling out of the doctor's office, I hit a car full of Iranians. You remember that, Nathan? And they came out of the car, and they looked at me like they wanted to kill me, and I began to pray. (laughs) The silent treatment was over. And I've never gotten up since then one day that I didn't get before the Lord before I started my day because God taught me then I need the Lord a lot more than he needs me. And I need to hear from the Lord a lot more than he needs to hear from me. You know the Lord loves to hear from us. There's a psalm that says, the Lord, our prayers are precious to the Lord. He loves to hear our prayers. He loves to hear our prayers. But if your circumstances are bad, so bad that you don't want to speak to the Lord, you know what I bet you is happening? I bet you God's orchestrating your circumstances so, they're so that there's that bad. So you will speak to the Lord. And you want to try to test the Lord on that, go ahead, but, but you're going to lose. You're a child of God, you can be sure you're going to lose when you try to give the Lord the silent treatment. It just doesn't work. You know, you ever wonder why God even gave us the book of Revelation? I mean, I understand him giving it to this church in this age because we're about to enter that age. But why did he give it to the church in the first century? He knew back then that the Lord wasn't going to return. He knew the date and the hour. He knew it was going to be thousands of years. What did they need to hear all of this about? Because the message is the same. The message is the same, that God is going to judge this world. And if you're not right with God, you're going to be judged and you're going to stand before Christ at the great white throne judgment seat. We see that in Revelation. And you're going to give an account for your life. And if you're not perfect, you're going to be cast into hell. That's what the Revelation teaches us. This world is is headed for destruction. It's always been headed for destruction. But there's also a part of Revelation, before I send you off to lunch, that's really exciting for those of us who've taken this message to heart. And that is that the Lord's going to come back to this earth, and he's going to make things right on this earth, more than right. 
more beautiful and wonderful than we could possibly imagine. And we are going to rule and reign with him as priests forever. You talk about a great deal. That's why the book of Revelation is here, because God is speaking to us. He's speaking to us very loudly. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much that there has never been a time nor never will be a time when you don't speak to us. And the reason you will always speak to us, Lord, we know is because you so love the world that you wish that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. Lord, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope we see in Revelation. Lord, we thank you for the fact that one day you're going to be revealed as, as the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, Almighty God. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you're Lord. We look forward to that day, Lord, when we rule by your side. Father, and now, now is the time for every person in this room, myself included, to get as close to you as we possibly can. Lord, you're speaking loudly through your word. You're speaking loudly through our circumstances. You're speaking loudly in our lives, Lord. And so help us to listen. Help us to get serious, very serious about listening to you and doing your will in these last days, Lord, because time is short. Father, we just thank you for all the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.